Hello, hello, um, listeners of the How We See Things podcast. It's Dan Stark here alongside Stacey Mm-hmm. And um, this episode is episode 10. Thank you so much for listening, supporting the pod. Please continue to like, share and subscribe. Uh, yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about the confirmation of Mrs. Katanji Brown-Jackson, uh, who's been confirmed as the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court by the U.S. Senate. She was confirmed historically on Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022, by a vote of 53 to 47, after being nominated by President Joe Biden in late February. So uh, that was quite a long wait. <laughs> it was literally a month um, of, of kind of questioning, well, three weeks or so of questionings. Um, and she will be taking up the, the spot um, left by Justice Stephen G. Breyer, uh, who I believe is retiring. Yep. And, um, I mean, we're, we have to be grateful, first of all, that um, Breyer had the wisdom, I think, after much pressure, internal and external pressure, to retire now. Um, you know, because the Democrats could have or might lose the Senate in, in November. And we've heard from Mitch McConnell recently, you know, he's not he's not going to commit to confirming or even nominating or accepting like a nomination from um, Biden if it comes if there's another vacancy um, that yeah. comes up. Part of why we are in the situation that we're in now is because um, RBG, for all of her prowess and, you know, may her soul rest in power or whatever but for some reason she refused to to step down while obama was um president you know yeah, yeah two years even though everybody tried I and mean, people begged so that's how come amy coney barrett got to fill um her seat yeah i mean it's it's so political in the u.s and i think like you say um you know rbg was a behemoth of, of the legal um, profession, even in the UK, you know, she's she's highly well regarded around the world, really. Yep. Um, and icon to women everywhere. And icon to women, you know, legal and non and otherwise. So I think, I think obviously she felt like she had a lifelong role, which the Supreme Court justices do still have in the US to kind of <laughs> to, to play her role. So I think you know politically maybe. There was that naivete, um, and Democrats, you have to say, have learned their lesson because obviously Merrick Garland, who is now the current U.S. Attorney General at the time, I mean, he's still, you know, that's that's a pretty good backup role for him, but he could have been a, a Supreme Court justice um, yeah. after Justice Scalia passed away in 2016. But unfortunately, as we know, the Republicans at that time ensured that you know he never was given a, a rightful um chance to, yeah, they, to... They, they, they wouldn't they would they didn't even let him have a hearing and the thing is basically republicans are making it up as they go so when it was when it was from mary garland they said oh you can't nominate somebody in the election year because the voters are about to decide but when it was amy coney barrett you know it was this was very close to the election um within 30 days like they turned around and, and yeah. confirmed that nominated uh, and, and you know it's just rank hypocrisy so um you had mike lee the senator from utah talking about how 
this process for KBG was rushed because it was about four, 40 days. And people are pointing out like, dude, what the fuck are you saying? Like, you, you confirmed him, you couldn't buy it in yeah. less than 30 days, like quickly. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's extremely politicized. And, you know, there's this, like, so if, if you listen through the KBG hearings, there's this song and dance that, you know, um, justices have to do where they pretend to not have opinions about anything at all. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, they, you're supposed to appear apolitical. And I think part, part of that is why, or that's part of why some people believe that RBG didn't step down. Um, there's this kind of naive commitment to impartiality where everybody has yeah. to pretend like these Supreme Court justices are, you know, um, they are wearing blindfolds and they're completely outside of politics. But they're, it's a political institution, just like um, all the other political institutions. Um, and even though it's I mean, the if, highest if I can one, supplement, If I can supplement your point, I, I, I do, and I, I do agree 100%. I think... What you need to just see it from, though, is that um, these are people who have studied the law, have devoted them. The law is a vocation. It's not a career. Um, who have devoted themselves to the ideals of justice. And justice, like you rightly say, is, is um, the epitome of the, the blindfolded woman with the scales. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and justice is about being impartial. And in any functioning democracy, quote and unquote, you do want the separation of powers. You want the executive um, being the government. You want the judiciary being obviously the judges who interpret, sorry, interpret the law. And then you want the legislature, who are Congress and the House of Representatives in the U.S. So, they, they, the justices, by standing on their impartiality in many ways keep the sanctity so even if the other two arms of government you know like you say are political and are unashamedly so mm-hmm. the justices have to kind of keep up that there has to be a semblance of it because otherwise you end up with what's now becoming like you say rightly a very obvious political they're, they're now political um yeah, but there are people who believe that that semblance was necessary up to a point. So while it was a 5-5 court, while it was a 5-4 court, you know, it was important to have that semblance. But the moment it became a 6-3 court, like oh. you're seeing, like, seeing the court become more and more unabashedly political. So in my, in my own personal opinion, there are currently a couple of cranks. Like, I call Clarence Thomas, in my opinion, is a crank. Um, same goes for Alito, heavy crank. Um, what's, what's this woman's name? Amy Coney Barrett is a crank as well. Like, she comes from this, like, religious, ultra-religious, super kind of culty, like, you know, um, um, background where they don't believe in um, contraceptives or abortion or any of that stuff. And you've seen an increase in Republican states, you know, f- um, creating laws um, that, because they're, they're sure that the Supreme Court has their back. So everybody, everybody kind of understands or expects that Roe versus Wade is going to be um, overturned, and this is something that like would not have been thought like possible if not for the fact that there's a six-three court. So the, likely the Roe versus Wade case is going to come down as five-four in favor of conservatives because the three yeah. liberals are going to vote against it, and then Justice Roberts is likely to um, side with the liberals, which has been the case like recently in high-profile cases. So like oh. normally, Justice Chief Justice like Roberts stands as like the um, um, you know, decided the swing vote. Decided, he yeah. used to be. Yeah. But he's no longer the swing vote because he's a six he's a six three court now. And Alito, Clarence Thomas, um, Amy Coney Barrett, and I think to an extent Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are reliable votes for any single conservative um cause that there is. 
and, yeah. and you know, and I think for for kind of you know you say six three just to spell it out um for 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 our listeners what what do you mean when you say six three court okay yeah no I, I'm talking about the ideological um leanings of the court so you know the court is made up of conservatives and quote unquote liberals um and you know usually or ideally it's supposed to be five five um but so five five liberals five conservatives but you know um somewhere along the line there became an imbalance because um um Mitch McConnell refused to let Barack Obama nominates Merrick Garland, so it became five four, you know, in favor of of conservatives. And even then, it was still kind of okay because, like as I was saying, Justice Roberts was acting as a swing vote, so he was in, he was crucial to saving the Affordable Care Act, um, because like the conservatives voted against it, but he sided with the four um, liberals. But um, in during Trump's tenure, RBG died. And they rushed to nominate Amy Coney Barrett. So it became 6 3. So Ketanji Brown Jackson, or KBG, because her name is kind of hard to pronounce. So we call her KBG. KBG going onto the court doesn't, it doesn't affect the dynamics um, of the courts in any way. It still remains a 6 3 court. And you know, it kind of spells, in my opinion, kind of spells doom down the line. Because, like I was saying, Clarence Thomas is a reliable crank. Same goes for Alito and Amy Coney Barrett. And you know, abortion cases are coming before the courts. Um, all these state laws about banning CRT and banning all that stuff is coming before the court, and chances yep. are those people are going to side with um, right wingers. CRT being critical race theory. Yeah, CRT well. being critical race um, theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, ba- basically, basically, KBG is equals CRT. That was one of the Republican attack ads on her. They just had a name yeah. and then they crossed it out and and replaced and replaced it with with um, CRT. I, I think like we can even you know delve into some of the um, yeah i mean when, when you discussion. look at that i mean we're on, on this pod we we like to talk straight to the point and here's a black woman um mm. who is you know a great a great daughter um of of her so, community who's done so many great things who clocked for a number of supreme supreme court justices including actually um ironically um justice Breyer, who she's replacing um so from 1999 to 2000, she clerked for Justice Breyer. She also served as a law clerk for the First Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Bruce Celia in 1997 to 1998. And then to the Massachusetts District Judge Patty Salis from 1996 to 1997. I mean, she has a very extensive um, CV. She's obviously yeah. a graduate of Harvard Law School, um, roundly seen as the preeminent legal um, law school in the world. Um, and she, I, interestingly enough, I think she she's also the only member of the Supreme Court who would have served as a public defender. And I think yeah. that's that's crucial because she will bring a very different, and like you say, in terms of the actual vote when it comes down to voting on partisan issues, quote and unquote, or issues of. I think this is the thing of judicial activism, right? Where yeah. the court essentially sets the discourse for what is essentially political matters or matters that deal with policy, right? Um, so when you talk about abortion, Roe versus Wade, the courts um, reversing that decision essentially affects abortion policy for, for mm. governments in the future, right? And that's why you're seeing a lot of red Republican states, blue Democratic states, fortifying their positions um, in terms of things like CRT, like we're talking about, abortion, um, LGBTQ policies, um, policies on um, Medicare, 
and and you know those kind of things because yeah. they're foreseeing have... they're foreseeing that there's going to be a lot of judicial kind of activism coming through. Everybody expects, or I think the conservatives expect, you know, they expect some reliable votes from um, the Republicans. And back when it was a 5-4 court, you could you could even maybe worry about the possibility of something happening or, you know, it's swinging one way or the other. Now, like, there, there's it's a no-brainer. Like, everybody, like, there was a, you know, Republicans in Congress leaked something to the National Review. I don't know, no, National Review is one of the most preeminent um, conservative magazines in the U.S. It was founded by Bill Buckley in the 60s, um, standing at thoughts history, yelling stop. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, like, they, they have a lot of, con they have, like, a lot of connects within the Republican Party in Congress. And the Republican Party has started drafting talking points for when Roe versus Wade is overturned. Um, Republicans feel emboldened. But, like, even, like, circling back to the politics of KBG, because as you were talking about her being a public defender, it came to bite, it came back to bite her in the ass. Um, so part of being a public defender, or I think one of the core fundamental principles of liberalism is that as liberalism being, you know, the philosophy, I guess, that dominates the West, is that everybody deserves a defense. Yeah, everyone um, has a right to legal. Yeah, everyone legal has right. a right to legal defense. Um, part of when you're being read your, your Miranda rights, when you're arrested, you, they tell you you have a right to an attorney. So everyone has a right to legal defense and in the course of kbj's career she had course to defend um people from guantanamo bay um you know terrorists and republicans trying to paint try to paint her as being soft on terrorists or, yep. or soft, potentially pro soft on yeah, crime well. soft on crime and generally and and there was a racial there was a clear racial element to that because they were trying to conjure up images of you know blackness being associated with criminality and yep. all that stuff and and you know like there was first this whole controversy so like how do you feel about the fact that biden explicitly said that he was going to nominate a black woman a black because woman. i don't i don't think there's a consensus on whether or not that was wise for him to do politically yeah and i think to be honest we have to understand that we are in a racialized world um mm -hmm. everything is about race <laughs> and uh the idea that if you stop talking about it, things will dissipate is just wrong because it's been proven time and time again that uh, human beings by their inherent nature will flock to those that look like them. You have to unlearn that behavior. And in America, especially with the history of how a particular group, um, the white majority had power and dominion over um, the black Americans, there has been have to there's had to be a fight for for the black Americans to to get to a point of perceived um, kind of uh, parity. You know, even till today in the laws, yeah. policing, it's just not there's still not that parity. So you have to understand that there's a lot of institutionalized racism, even amongst the quote unquote liberals. There's still this idea that black people need to earn certain things. They are human beings; they don't have to earn anything. There's, there are things that should be freely given. Everybody should choose on merit. So, unfortunately, I take your point. I think Biden, President Biden, with all due respect, um, kind of shot himself in the foot by making that position known because there's still a lot of people who inherently, they might not even consciously know that they have these racial yeah. undertones in their behavior, like trying to, like you said, put blackness and juxtaposing mm -hmm. that with, with criminality. Or, or low-income neighborhoods with crime. 
without looking at socioeconomic factors as a context, right? For him to say that, amongst many of the ruling classes, quote-unquote, that would have rung a lot of bells. Um, And in many places, there's still this idea that, especially someone who's black, who don't come out as a conservative extremist, is not to be trusted in those positions, right? Um, And I say that because there are black Republicans, right? Yeah. There are people who can be seen as trusted, quote-unquote, by the establishment to uphold those conservative values. But when someone like KBJ comes forward, who's very, very well respected, who's, you know, at her age, is one of the most successful black yeah, lawyers. Very qualified. She's overly, you know, she's, I think she's more than qualified for the role. He did kind of, um, he should have understood, and I say this because President Biden is, is, is in his early 70s, so he, he, he stood by those who fought for civil rights, you know, so he understands, he should understand the fabric of America. Yeah, but what he's telling is that, what he thinks is that, like, apparently, you know, during the campaign, Mm. He, you know, if you remember, Biden wasn't doing very well early on in the campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. A, a, a I big remember. shift for him came when he was um, um, endorsed by Jim Clyburn, and apparently, um, and Jim Clyburn is like this really famous African American. He's dead now, may he rest in power. Also, yeah. Well, Clyburn is this really famous African American congressman. He was one of the people who marched um, with MLK. Yeah, yeah he was he was beaten as well and all that kind of stuff. So um, he needed Clyburn's Clive, endorsement. And apparently, Clyburn's condition for his endorsement was that Biden, you know, declared that he was going to nominate. Um, because, you know, it's politics. Biden could have promised him, oh, hey, I'll nominate a black woman. But then oh, by the time, you know, the process gets into the way, they oh, see sorry, the politics of it. Yeah, oh, sorry. So his condition was that you declare that you're going to nominate a black woman. Personally, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I, 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 I'm, I kind of feel like we need to stop making accommodations for racists. We need to stop worrying about the fact that racist people are going to have racist feelings. And so we shouldn't do... As in, what, what is it? Like, why can't Biden say, I'm going to nominate a black woman? Like, why does that irk you so much? Like, why, why, why does it... You know, and people were practicing all these think pieces about how, um, you know, Biden is limiting his options. He's basically telling everybody else to fuck off, all that kind of thing. But like, for the history, the first 95 men that sat on... Supreme Courts, where first of all men, yeah, and we're white men. Well, and I think this um, is the thing: like, there's this lack of. Once you say, "Oh, I want to provide some sort of um, diversity," right? Mm-hmm. What you're saying is, "I want a diverse pool." Yeah, um, there becomes this uproar because I think people understand the dynamics of power. They understand the dynamic. They they're not blind to the fact that there were 95 men before. They understand that they don't want to share that power. They don't want more black lawyers to get on the Supreme Court justice. They don't want it more diverse because they want a particular type of ideology that perpetuates the current power structure, the current racial structures that exist. So when you ask for diversity, I think that's why some people are threatened because they understand the inherent power where you have a certain race and a certain class of people being leaders. They can perpetuate a particular structure that keeps them in charge keeps people that looks like them or at least at the very least think like them so they might say okay we'll have diversity but we'll only have it you have to be a conservative right yeah we don't mind if you're for some some people for some people yeah for some right wingers or for some conservatives some people feel like diversity and meritocracy are mutually exclusive things 
So some people believe that if you're going after diversity, you're automatically not choosing the best person. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's a wrong. That's, it's that's a very wrong, wrong way you of can looking do two at things, things together. You can, and this is the thing: unless you give people the chance, I, I'm sorry to segue here because this is just very on point. Look at the NFL, for example. Right, they have something called the Rooney. Mm-hmm. American listeners don't need that explained, but essentially. It's the idea that you have to identi- um, interview two minority candidates, I believe. It used to be one dot rooms up to two in order to get, um, to widen the pool, right? And th- what you need to understand is the NFL is 70% black. And by extension of that 70%, you surely would have a certain percentage, let's say half of those, who will have the raw talents to become coaches, who have the inspirational nows, the tactical acumen, the work mm-hmm. rate, the drive. So surely you should have a more diverse pool of black coaches in the NFL by now. Look at the NBA. You're now at about 10 or 12 minority coaches, I believe, in the NBA. That's yeah. a better representation because surely players become coaches, right? We've seen this in every sport. So how come the NFL still has, I think the NFL is about 24, 25 white coaches now, um, latterly. And there was only one, um, there was Lovey Smith, took over from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because Bruce Arians moved up into an executive role. But there were only two. One was biracial and one was um, the Houston Texans coach whose name, uh, Lovey Smith, sorry, Todd Bowles is the um, Tampa Bay coach. But there's not enough, right? It's still like eight minority head coaches. And I say minority because you have... It's, like, about, keeping it as a boy, it's yeah. about keeping it as a boys club now. And, and, and pe- people don't yeah. realize or people don't always like remember or reflect that there's something called implicit bias. And yep. so if, if yep. you're hiring, you know, if you're hiring, chances are you're going to be more, um, you're going to be more drawn to people who look like you, people who have yep. similar backgrounds like you. That's yep. why if when you walk into a company, you more often than not, like you find you there'll be something similar, either either in terms of educational background or, you know, just in terms of race or whatever, your people have to make a conscious effort to diversify their workplaces. Um, And diversity is not, you know, mutually exclusive with meritocracy. So so, so many people, they felt that because Biden said he was nominating a black woman, that he was effectively limiting himself. Some professor at Georgetown even, you know, went as far as suggesting that, like, by definition, Biden will be picking a lesser person because he limited his pool to black women. Which is inherently racist, because what you're saying is black a black female candidate cannot be as good as, I guess, in his, in his standard, the normal, mm-hmm. which is a white man. And yeah. that is inherently racist. And that is the mentality that has to change. And I think another factor as well with um, KBJ, as we're calling her, the Honorary Justice, um, is that I think there was another crucial thing. Her role in kind of making sure that Trump was um, exposed in respect to the 6th of January insurrections. Because if you remember in December, she was one of the three judge panel who upheld um, District Judge Tanya Chopkin's opinion, holding that Mr. Trump could not prevent the House Select Committee investigating the 6th of January insurrection from obtaining White House records. Now, that's such a key thing. And, And I think... Republicans obviously saw Trump as a massive vote winner. Um, in many ways, even though some of them didn't agree with him, he was winning the party elections. So in their mind, you know, their party over country, in my view, because especially in the federalist kind of system and state-based system, 
Trump was giving them the White House as Republicans. So of course, they, they, Republicans are party role in there country, have, I think yeah. her role there was definitely something that would have angered them as well. Uh, the Republicans. Oh no, 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 no. See, the thing is, the thing is, Republicans would were never and are never going to support any nominee from a Democratic president unless, for some reason, the Democratic oh. president decides to nominate somebody from the Federalist Society. Um, people need to understand that Republicans have this view of the country as theirs. Um, yep. So so their ideology is normative to them and everybody else is, is, is you know, what's different. So when, so when you have somebody like Amy Coney Barrett who gets lauded as, you know, um, a great family person, blah, blah, blah. She, has, she barely has any experience. She was effectively fast-tracked for the purpose of... of and she, the only reason why she's on the court is for um, termination of Ron Wade, Ron versus Wade. Um, but then, but then with, with KBG, you had all this... KBG had all these, like, foolish questions about about child pornography. So let, let's, let's even get yeah, into Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, I want to get, get your views. I'll, I'll, I'll um, allow you to think on that. Um, no, I, I so felt she... She kept very calm in the face yeah. of very contentious yeah. questions. I, I saw a number of clips. I saw a number of um, the sessions. I, I thought some of the questions were, you know, borderline um, disrespectful. Um, I felt that she held her ground. Um, KBJ, that is. She, she was very well prepared. She was very composed. She stood tall in the face of some very hostile... Um, I remember seeing Lindsey Graham's um, questioning of her. He ran out of time and, and just kept berating her. And to me, I, I, that was a microcosm of society. The society, yeah. the idea that... Lindsey Graham is a special case. And to think that she's an expert in her field. She, she, she calmly explained the idea of interpreting laws created by Congress. Attacking a judge for, interpre- for interpreting the laws that he paid a key no. role in instituting. Lisa Graham was a special case. Talk to me about, you know, the, the, the stuff about pornography and stuff. You know, yeah. what, what, what do you think was the driving force there? What, Be, what were they trying to achieve? Before we even you know, get to the pornography thing, uh, I, I want us to take a bit of a detour and you know, give some background context to, this, to the Supreme Court's confirmation hearings because there, there's a bit of background involved there. Republicans have been carrying a grievance for decades because there was once a nominee called Robert Bork who was an extremist by every standard possible. He was a racist, a virulent racist. Um, I think he was also anti-Semitic as well. And he had like very misogynistic views. So he was nominated um, by, I'm not sure, I think Reagan or HW. I don't remember exactly, but he was nominated and he got borked. Meaning he was, you know, that, that I think that was the first time that there was a whole controversy about um, a Supreme Court nominee, that there was lots of stuff in the news about his views and all of that. So Republicans have been carrying that grievance forever. And the escalation has been going up and up and up from there. And then, you know, there was the whole thing with Kavanaugh. Yeah, I remember. Even going that, yeah. back with the accusations of sexual assault in college and everything. So f- to start with, Republicans came into this hearing, first of all, declaring that, oh, we're not going to be like the Democrats because the Democrats were so mean to Kavanaugh during his hearing. And we're not going to do that. We're going to be better. We're going to smear KBJ as a pedophile sympathizer um, and as a potential as a potential pro-terrorist person. 
Um, so the the, the the thing with KBG and and Chowpon, okay, also some more background. In 2016, I think, or 2015, a crazy white man went into a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. and shot it up because he believed that Hillary Clinton and Democrats were trafficking children through that pizza shop. It was known as Pizzagate. Um, so there is this weird conspiracy that Republicans have that basically Democrats and everybody on the left are um, that democratic democratic politics essentially exists as a cover for um, pedophile and children sex trafficking. So for the most part, that was considered to be a fringe idea, a fringe belief, you know, QAnon. But then a senator, one horrible nuisance of a senator called Josh Hawley. Um, decided that that was going to be his line of attack. So he did some research into Ketanji Brown Jackson's record and saw that basically in sentencing child pornography cases, she used her sense, she used her brain, and she judged it on a case-by-case basis. So the way like judging works and the way that the law works, there's usually a guidance, you know, there's like a base guidance where it says if you do X offense, this is how much time the state recommends that you get, blah, blah, blah. But in those cases, KBJ didn't follow um, the guidance she used her she used her um, discretion essentially and sentenced people less than guidelines in some cases in some other cases she was stricter in some other cases she wasn't as strict republicans decided that this must mean that she is pro pedophilia and decided is, to make that which is a ridiculous smear egregious it's it's a ridiculous smear and they decided to make that um, their line of attack and so everyone thought it was going to be just a Josh Hawley thing. But then, you know, they decided that, all right, we need to, uh, because, because there was a lot of excitement around the fact that, you know, KBJ, um, the KBJ was a black woman and Republicans needed something to attack her with. And they couldn't just, they couldn't just, you know, come out right and say, we don't want a black woman on the court. So they needed to make all these insinuations and all these suggestions about her judgment, about her judicial philosophy, about her, you know, about her worldview, essentially, to paint her as a radical extremist who is going to be on the courts to, to, um, you know, institute her pro-pedophilia um, and pro-terrorist um, views. It was ridiculous, and, and it was a farce, essentially, but it, it's kind of giving us, like, an insight into the way politics is going to be done now um, because effectively, effectively, Republicans have decided that their line of attack going into the midterms and going into 2024 will be that basically Democrats are groomers and pedophiles um, um, because like part of the discourse now, especially around the Florida um, don't say gay bill, um, Republicans have decided that their attack, their response to people who criticize the bill will be to call them um, groomers. So we kind of saw like a preview of the Republican like midterm message and like 2024 message with the attacks on KBJ. And I think like, so even like Lindsey Graham is with the screaming and everything. He came out with an attack ad after the confirmation, effectively still suggesting the same thing. Um, and then when, when Mitch McConnell was asked, you know, about KBJ, he also said the same thing that, oh, like, um, they are happy about the historic whatever, whatever, but they have problems with her views. Still kind of just playing footsie with the suggestion that, oh, maybe she might be soft on crime or, yeah. or, or, or soft on pedophile. It's, it's, it's an egregious, it was an egregious smear. And it just, like I was saying, just gives us an insight into the way politics, you know, domestically in the US is going to be practiced.
I think it's so interesting and really well said. Um, really well said because I think that encapsulates, like you say, the the line of attack. And the Republicans are so organized, right? They they have these talking points. They usually mm-hmm. they they filter them down to two or three points. They don't bother attacking on a wide range of issues, and they just keep bashing. And this one, and they hammer it over and over again. And they hammer it. And and human nature, by its very nature, especially with social media, I believe. Um, um, Josh Hawley is his name. Is that his yeah. name? He he had a Twitter thread where he kind of listed out all these convictions without any context, right? Yeah. He wasn't a judge has to look a judge looks at a number of things. The facts of the case, the sentencing guidelines, they're guidelines. They're not sentencing rules. They're sentencing guidelines. And by its very nature, the role of a judge is to adjudicate, is to use their discretion, is to use their experience, is to use their understanding of the case is to use the competing factors, is to use the idea that a law, however, reality might have moved on. So, for example, laws made before the internet to do with distribution of pornography or to do are so much radically different. I, I, KBJ explained, for example, that when, you, when you're looking at something called aggravated um, circumstance, aggravation is something that makes it worse, right? So... You can have um, an assault, but then you can have an aggravated assault. And the aggravation might be because it's racial in nature, mm. right? So that makes it a worse assault. So, for example, someone who's distributing um, pornography back in the days would usually have um, magazines or books, you know, maybe spread it by post, for example. But someone on the internet can spread pornography with one click, can spread 10,000 images, yeah. right? So she was trying to explain that there's you have to look at the context and you have to look at things like that. So when you're saying, oh, she sentenced X, Y, and Z, you need to go and look at the facts of the case. You need to understand what the criminal or the, the person used as their tool. Those things have to be factored in. And I think, you know, the, the Republicans and conservatives in general around the world, they rely on the populace not looking at the facts, not yeah. contextualizing issues, not taking into consideration factors that play in beyond the outcome you don't just look yeah, at in, in in defense of in defense of, of conservatives andrew mccarthy who is definitely not a liberal by any standards in the national review which is definitely not a liberal publication by any standards came out in defense of kbj and against the smear it, it, effectively calling it like demagoguery that it was a ridiculous smear cory booker read an excerpt from um the national review article like on on the floor of the Senate. Um, the point I think KBJ was trying to make as well was that there's a difference between somebody who is caught in possession of one video yeah. versus somebody who's caught in possession of a thousand videos. Yeah. And you cannot, you, cannot, you cannot apply the same sentencing guidelines um, to, to those people. Like, you have to treat them differently. You have to treat them on a case-by-case basis. To make matters not, worse. They're not, it's not, she's not saying that they're not bad. Like, possessing yes. one image is terrible and i think she actually used this word she said possessing one image is really bad it's terrible it's heinous it's a heinous crime but possessing ten thousand surely must be worse there must be some sort of you you must attach like i said an aggravation to multiple committees essentially you're committing you know the worst part about you know the worst part about this thing that republicans they know that too they know that they know and then then they agree and they agree with that because judge holly who started the whole smear 
he nominated somebody or he um, signed off on the nomination of someone to a, a court in his home state of Missouri, who apparently also has a similar sentencing um, background as a record as, as KBJ. Um, and like, you know, lots of senators read out or pointed to the fact that like KBJ sentencing is very well within the mainstream of, of sentencing that judges do. But Republicans can't acknowledge that, Jonathan. And, and it, it's one thing to even say, it's one thing to say, oh, hey, we think you're a liberal. We disagree with you on that basis. Just point blank, period. Like, we don't want a court with liberals on it. We want only conservatives. You can say that, but they don't want to say that. They have to do this whole song and dance That's where about. they yeah, where, where, where they suggest that, you know, this black woman that has been put on the court potentially is going to let criminals run um, rampant. Tom Cotton, who is, I think, competing, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, the most hated, the most venal, horrible people like on the face of this earth. Tom Cotton went as far as, as suggesting, <laughs> no, Tom Cotton went as far as suggesting that, oh, KBJ, like that, that the last um, Jackson that was on the court went to Nuremberg to prosecute Nazis, that this KBJ might have gone there to defend Nazis. Goodness me. It, 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 Goodness it was it was ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. And then they asked him about it. They asked him about it on Fox News. You know, the way Fox News will ask a question about it, like, oh, don't you think you went too far? He said, No. Um, and we're making this whole thing about like how um, you know, because she defended terrorists in, in Guantanamo Bay, and because they were not American terrorists, so they don't deserve um the rule I mean, of law. It's- that's equal consideration. That's ridiculous. Like human beings are human beings, and everyone is 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 allowed to have legal representation. That's one of the fundamental tenets. Like you cannot have a situation, and I think this is one of the biggest problems. And we're going to move across um, very shortly to to the other topic. But you know, this idea that nowadays um, you can just perpetrate an idea and then it gains steam and then becomes a mainstream idea is really, really, really damaging. How can you dehumanize people on the basis that they're not American so, or, or that they're foreigners and therefore they, they're not entitled to legal representation? It's one of these things where you cannot have a situation where somebody appears at court and then isn't given... Because that even delegitimizes your no, punishment. On, on, on that one, I'm not sure I agree with you entirely. I think it's normal for a country to have a higher standard of justice for their citizens than they do for foreigners. Not only foreigners, these are foreign terrorists in this case, because you know Guantanamo Bay is a prison for... No, 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 legal representation. No, sorry, just to, just to explain something. This is, this is not, it's not an opinion. This is just mm. a legal fact. Everyone's entitled to legal representation. Sure. Because what happens is, if they don't have that, that could even... You've heard of a mistrial, right? So if you take that person to trial and they've not had legal advice or legal representation, you're endangering your prosecution of that individual. So they need to know their rights. They need to have a valid defense. That's just the way the legal system works because otherwise we might as well be back in the 1800s where we had Salem trials or 1600s where it's, okay, I think you're bad. Or actually, some of these people are terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that terrorists are not terrible. They are. But the, in a valid legal system, to be able to say we send them to death or 100 years in the gulag, you need to have shown that at least they had legal representation, at least they understood yeah. the charges being brought against them, 
And yes, you can say, okay, your defense is whack. You're I mean, sure, they, sure, they okay. deserve they deserve representation, but I think again, it's still it doesn't have to be you. So it's it's, it's an ethical consideration. Yeah, she, she chose, it's, it's an yeah, interesting, argue, yeah, it's an interesting chose, ethical conundrum. Yeah. No, because because for example, for example, Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein has lawyers, but I can totally see a scenario where Harvey Weinstein approaches a law firm and the law and firm says, yeah. "Yeah, it says, hey, we don't want to be associated with you." You deserve representation for sure, but like you can you don't criticize have to get from us. her. Yeah, yes, yeah. so I, I mean, you can criticize KB, and I don't know the specifics of who exactly she defended. Um, and keep in mind, she was like, um, her role was like a kind of I don't know if it was like a court appointed kind of you know, sometimes in the yes, US, no, like, that that happened. So that happened. I, she defended um while she was a public defender, but then I think apparently in private practice too, uh-huh, she, retained, now, she retained one of the clients. Okay, so now that bit you can say you can criticize her, her decision or her that you can. I don't disagree with you, but in terms of legal rep bit, everybody is entitled. Like everybody, even the devils, entitled to legal. Yeah, no, I, I agree like, on that, on that part. I, that that's just like a fundamental. But to your point about if she then took some of these guys as private practice, um, then you can say okay, you made that decision, right? Yeah, and um, but I mean, I think we're both happy that she's on there and i didn't no, I, I, I was just about know, to say like I'm, I'm taking the cory booker approach of not letting anybody like still like, enjoy, enjoy. Yeah. I, I think representation matters like point blank period like there's been a lot of ham ringing and someone very irritating tweeting about somebody that was like somebody made a graphic showing all like showing the the fact that it's been all white men up until like a point and you see some black people who are all like oh this is reductive whatever dude <laughs> representation it, it matters does. it's important it for young black girls to see a black woman on the supreme on the supreme court it's it's, yep. it's, it's important point blank period if, if, if that if that upsets you for any reason like you, you need to find something else to do like or you need to find another solution for your problem because like kbj is not your problem uh we're not letting anybody steal our joy um, no we're um on the how we see things pod um we're so elated we're so happy to to see katanji brown jackson um, as the next Supreme Court justice, and long may she reign. And um, yeah. we also we we also wish to see other black justices. Um, and you know, I, I I say this as someone who is who's seen someone like Clarence Thomas, right, as a as a justice. And even though his politics don't align with mine, even though I don't, you know, look at some of the decisions. Uh, and I, like, oh, I, mean, I don't know about that one. I think, it, I think no, no, we're no, better I, off I, with, with fewer Clarence Thomases in the world. This is the thing, though, like, whether or not we agree with his politics, he's probably inspired a lot of black men to go into... For sure. So this is the thing, like, I think it's one of these things where we have to appreciate that people will always have different politics from us. We can't have this monetized world where everybody thinks, like, um, Stacey X and Dan Stark and, like, we have all the justices that do everything. That would be beautiful. I don't don't know about you. I don't know about (laughs) you, but I think I I can see pretty confidently that if more people in the world thought like me, the world would be a better place for sure. <laughs> well, I guess well, I, I, I certainly I certainly think so. I mean, if, if more people thought like me, the, the world would be definitely Yeah, uh, yeah. Lot, yeah. How's that for more, how's that for blowing smoke up our asses? Mm-hmm. A lot a lot more problem solving, because that's that's kind of how I like to think. So um no, we lo- we'd love to see KBG on there and um she's got a beautiful family and you know, more power to her. 
and um, we wish a, a very long and successful career. Yeah, no, and and you know, a, a good a good a good segue would be to just point out that like there were a lot of of spaces, yeah, you know, that popped up on so, on Twitter. Steve Malex, explain what a Twitter space is. Um, so a Twitter space is basically the Twitter version of a clubhouse room. I don't believe I have to explain what the clubhouse room is to anybody <laughs> because we all went through the pandemic. And you know, the funny, funny thing is that before clubhouse, there was this, there was this um party something. It was this party. Yeah, I can't remember um, what it was. It was this party was house. This party, was it party house. No, no, the, house, the, party, party. The house party. House party. House party. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. House party. That, that lasted like three months. <laughs> lasted like three months, man. Then clubhouse came. Um, so so basically, clubhouse is and spaces are the audio versions of twitter it's basically a, a means for random people to join a room and start calling like imagine like you're on a phone call but it's a what, what do you call all those phone calls that have multiple people on them it's a group it's a call. conference call it's, it's a conference a call voice, yeah. but but it's a conference call with strangers with not, not with people that you know have any relationship with and um clubhouse was the big thing you know a few months ago but twitter as you know as bigger companies tend to do created the same products house it in their platform and now it is effectively taking over like the whole audio room space um yeah i mean clubhouse were disadvantaged on a number of fronts firstly there was the beta phase which i think they saw the phase right it's taken too long to develop secondly twitter had the a lot of the times you would have a clubhouse room and it would trend on Twitter, right? Because Clubhouse didn't have within yep, itself yep, the ability yep. to create a chat kind of function or a kind of uh, societal or kind of or things that trended things that were trending on Twitter would be discussed on on Clubhouse, on Clubhouse right? Whether so we was feeding. Mm-hmm. So Twitter already had a lot of what Clubhouse was um, working off, and Twitter essentially had the integration. It was able to integrate the spaces. You can already see who you follow, what rooms they're in and um, what spaces they're in. And even some of the popular Clubhouse content creators have moved across to, to Twitter. And I mean, Twitter spaces, you know, has been, it's been hilarious. I, you no, know. I mean, imagine, <laughs> imagine, if, imagine if you're the Clubhouse founder who was offered $4 billion. Should have taken that. It should have taken that $4 billion. Like, you know, because there's this thing with, with founders who, when they feel like, oh, I can, I can, I can still, I, my ideas can get me that $4 billion. This is yeah. lost sweat and, twit- and tears. I'm or, not selling my I don't want to put a price. Maybe I think some, sometimes Baba, it's more it's the Four billion is a price, so I don't want to put a price on my idea. It's my baby. Eh. You know? But sometimes you need to understand that. Um, and look at the Instagram guys. Like, in some ways, you could say, yeah, well, they could have taken Instagram further, but everything has its cap. Because I currently I feel like Instagram is kind of just maintaining its position. I don't mm. feel like it's growing at any massive rates compared to when it when they sold it right um so like with clubhouse for example if they're taking that four billion they might have retained some sort of like i know i don't know how they do these things uh, in no, practice Twitter just maybe some sort it. of consultory you know they could have still yeah, be okay, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Stuff. um and twitter you have four billion in your pocket um you can reinvest into another idea you can go live your life you know if you want um, or you could even buy into other, you could buy back in into like, yeah, buy shares or whatever. So, no, I, I, I think the dynamic, the dynamic that Clubhouse failed to recognize is that for a company as big as Twitter, like Twitter has muscle, 
in and it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the same thing with Amazon and how Amazon, you know, effectively muscles out smaller, um, you know, competitors. They have the economies of scale allow them to be able to like compete in ways that Clubhouse can't. Um, so there's nothing that Clubhouse can offer people that Twitter can't. And the yep. moment Twitter created its own like spaces, it effectively made um, Clubhouse um, obsolete. Because whatever um, you want to do on Clubhouse, it's not obsolete. More of a niche product. Because I feel I still have Clubhouse, but I mean, yeah, we all do because, because, much... because people don't delete people don't delete apps. But but nobody is going to Clubhouse rooms anymore. The space oh. is spaces. Yeah, it's all spaces now. It's all happening on Twitter because you know you're 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 in a space on Twitter. You're using the hashtag. You're tweeting about the space yeah, where it's, it's happening on Twitter. It's, it's, yeah. it's all integrated. Yeah, instead of instead of leaving Clubhouse to go. Um, now, as a lesson for anybody out there, if somebody offered you four billion for a product <laughs> that no, for, for for a product that you're pretty sure, like they should have known that Twitter can replicate this. Twitter can do this, and they can do it better than us. Um, so we should sell. It should have sold. Um, although hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, I, I think I it's that re- it's that lack of realism, though, because what you said there is you need, to, and this is why I think sometimes when you have all these COOs, strategic of operations, blah 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 blah, um, a lot of strategy is also thinking about your risk profile, right? Mm. So if if a company comes to you, like you say, with four billion, and they have this integrated system which you've been benefiting off, so like Clubhouse was benefiting off hashtags trending on Twitter, yeah, on people Twitter. looking for where to speak about those things coming onto Clubhouse rooms, going back and, you know, talking about it on Twitter, dragging more people across, bringing up in their head saying, well, okay, listen, yeah, we really need to take these guys, at least come in as, like, junior partners, right? Mm. Let, let's, let them subsume us, but we'll still retain our ego in terms of, okay, we might give them advisories or whatever. So I think they really, yeah, they dropped the bag, as they say. They fumbled the bag, rather. In, in that yeah I don't know if you've experienced this but like I, I think I've, I've found this kind of interesting so like the way these spaces kind of materialize um first off <laughs> you, you you could have like a space for for with anything from 20 to a thousand plus people I've been um, in once five six six thousand yeah everybody is trying to talk um yeah. you know and I think Twitter also has more celebrities on there. Correct. Um, you know, so that that in clubhouse, so um, you you have places with celebrities on there. But then there, there's a dynamic that you know emerges with people creating rooms, and by virtue of the fact that they're the ones that created the room, they immediately become idiot. I mean, well, um, this is well, we know we've been fighting this since the lo- first down. All right, so clubhouse peak was like first lockdown. Um, yeah, and there was this idea of the green bean monster. So. Yeah, in, in Clubhouse, when you're a moderator, you have the green badge, and mm-hmm. people certainly turn into kind of authoritarian, you know, put down um, nasty people just for the sake of. I mean, I do understand that sometimes you need to moderate, and people are reckless, and like you say, people are a bit rowdy, everybody wants to talk. Sometimes you need to preserve order. But my issue is that it's never, very rarely, is that done in such a way that's fair and equal no, it's, and... it's never fair <laughs> and it's never done it's never actually like moderation yes and like i, I you people talk about this phenomenon of people not liking to hear things that they don't agree with until you experience it in real life where people are somebody's literally like all right i hate what you're saying now so i'm going to kick you off the stage um or somebody decides that like you just hug the mic 
they, they, I, don't, I don't want to mention the guy's name, but there's, there's one guy that's always in, there's one doctor, somebody that's always in, in Clubhouse rooms. And sometimes, I sometimes think he's been, like, been run off the app, bro. Yeah, no, it's, of course, because he was, I think he was, he was doing too much. He was everywhere, all over the place. Um, was doing too much. And, and you know, like, he, he had this whole thing where he would just start talking, basically. And if anybody tries to point out that, hey, Chairman, like, you've been talking for 30 minutes, non-stop. Let somebody just talk. You say, oh, no, it's my room. I created the room. If, if, you, if you don't like it, you can Get go out. or something like that. Get out, yeah. Um, so, like, this space is it's becoming, like, a thing. Um, and I think, especially, like, with campaigning and stuff, like, if you noticed Nigerian politicians, or some of them, Sha, who are running, are using, like, Twitter spaces as, as an avenue. So I saw one that they did with, with Dili Momodu. Um, I saw one that they did with, uh, I think, Mogalu also came on like a Twitter space as well to talk to people. Um, so I think it's going to function as an, as an avenue to pass like a message across and to talk to people. Like I see a future where, you know, town halls, instead of instead of it being done, um, instead of it being done on TV and stuff like that, people do it on spaces. And I think because you can record on those spaces as well, it's also possible possibly going to be an the next avenue for like making like podcasts or you know making like audio content because you could just have you could have like lots of people on there saying their stuff and then you're recording it and you can publish like you can publish it like out um yeah i mean and yeah watch this space because we might you know start doing twitter spaces very soon i think your your point about politicians using it is definitely i think it's you know it's free of charge isn't it so why wouldn't you create a room, try and generate a buzz. Um, and if you think that's a percentage of your viewership or electoral um, uh, base on there, so why wouldn't you exploit that? I think from the Twitter spaces, from the ridiculous to the sublime, really. So mm. in terms of things that we've seen, <laughs> I know I've, I've been in a couple of um, quite um, funny rooms, um, very popular in the UK, um, hash, hashtag... Um, is it harsh talk reality gnosis? Yeah, harsh talk reality mm. gnosis, which is 5,000 people, 6,000 people. Um, and it's a guy called um, Az, I think, who's does uh, spaces, started off doing it about non-league football, because I believe he has a background in non-league football, and kind of he'd have non-league footballers on there, talk to them about football. And basically he was decrying most of them their achievements and saying, you're not successful because you're not League One or Premier League, really. I'm talking about the vagaries of of that and the you know contracts and the the non-league culture. The big he, smoke. Okay. he graduated to grime, so grime is a form of music, yeah. uh, very popular um, with um, people in the southeast, London, major cities, Birmingham, Manchester, but primarily um, black black people. Um, obviously, you have you know um, Asians as well, white people listen to it, but that was primarily you know. Um, the the background so grime has kind of gone through a yo-yo period where it was very popular in like the late 90s early 2000s faded off kind of came back again in the early 2010s um and you have people like gig skepta chipmunk um who are like ogs of grime um wiley um kano some of you might know. Yeah, I, I know like all those, all those like UK rooms. Basically, any room that I see that Ulun is inside, I just always go because I know that maybe there's <laughs> there's some smoke or some scandal going on, and there's going to be spicy, spicy <laughs> gist or hot takes. 
um, and yeah, I mean, more serious on that, um, and less jokey and not really jokey at all, to be honest. Um, quite harrowing was kind of sexual assault um, experiences that came out from from that industry and dealing with MCs and people in that and DJs and producers and stuff. So obviously that brings oh. a lot of people to the spaces. So I mean, it's been a real mix of sometimes the really you know you've been in some you know some. Uh, foundational <laughs> yeah no, I've, 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 this, you know there's this thing with with um black americans who you know are victims of the dunning kruger effect the dunning kruger effect where you're stupid but you don't realize how stupid you are um so a lot of very confidently ignorant people who yeah. don't know or who don't realize how ignorant they are now i've been on a variety of spaces from like those type to um the ones of horrible bosses which was kind of fun yeah 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 that was nigerians like retreating and there was one i think specifically just for nollywood and then there was like horrible bosses like in general and some of some of the stories you hear like is is income bear like these things they happen for this life like when when i I, I, somebody that that basically their boss like some lady turned them to house girl um essentially or like you hear all the stories of of how like you know that isn't that how you expose the guy this um, founder What's his face? Ebo. Well, yeah, he has to step down, didn't he? He stepped down. No, no, no. Step I think it, it took like a vacation or something. Basically, what um, company was that? Is that um uh, one of the startups? Yeah, pay something. Um, uh, I can't remember, but yeah, was it one of the startups? Is it Paystack? No, no, Paystack. Let's not go slander. I don't know. Company, we, um, we're not sure. We're not sure. But 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 it's some it's some Ebon guy who apparently was a terrorist, essentially, within at his workplace. So tech about um, which is doing some great work in terms of like journalism and and you know like chronically like the growth of tech in Nigeria. Um, tech about like you know broke a story about like his workplace and like the work environment there. And it led to like the Twitter space, horrible bosses, and led to people just you know going on and on and on about stuff. Um, so yeah, no, and I expect that like as as more and more things happen. So the so when you know Smith slapped um, Uncle Chris, there was a space immediately after that. Basically, as soon as any type of news breaks um, around the world, spaces like come up like quickly. Yeah, to talk about it. So yeah, no, yeah. I think um, spaces. Watch out. That's the that's the future. Um, and yeah, if you, yeah, I mean, if you, if you do, if you're on Twitter, you know, it's sometimes educational, sometimes funny, sometimes entertaining, sometimes sobering. This is the case now with, with almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a huge real spectrum of human emotion and, um, watch out for Statesman X and, uh, Dan Stark. You might be seeing the, how we see things. Space. Yeah. I think that might actually work out easier for us to set up, um, and we can start up doing something a bit more organic and, and build it from there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening to episode 10 yeah, of the How We See Things podcast. Um, and we'll um, see you guys next week. Next week. Um, please do listen to the pod, like, share, and comment as well. And um, we usually have a poll um, on, on, on Spotify or other platforms as well as um, Twitter as well. So do let us know your thoughts. Do engage, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Um, yeah, and don't don't let anybody steal your your KBG joy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, KBG rules, and uh, here's to more greater diversity. Indeed. Thank you. Bye.